Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. Today we're going to do some big work as we study God's Word. We come to a very important section of Galatians. And children, if you are listening, you are listening for the word law. Um, at the back of the church, there's also a sermon outline sheet in terms of helping your kids learn how to take notes during the sermon so they can actually get used to learning to listen to God's Word. That's one of the blessings um, you can train your child to do is listen to God's Word. So there's a sermon um, following along sheet at the back. Um, and kids, you're listening for the word law. So I want to invite you to take your Bibles and we're going to turn to the book of Galatians. As you know, we're studying the book of Galatians. We're studying this amazing gospel freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. And today we are coming to this important section of answering the question, Why do we have the law? Why the law? And so I'm going to start reading from verse 15 in chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, and we'll start reading in verse 15. 15. This is God's Word. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It doesn't say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? Verse 19. It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels, by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Verse 23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. 
For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of us you have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abram's offspring. Heirs according to the promise. Now I wonder if you guys have ever had this experience. I recently bought a, a trampoline for our children to jump on at our house. And uh, you know, you get the instructions and this big box and you want to put this thing together. And you, you look at this box and you think, oh, I'm not going to be, be able to do this on my own. And so I said, oh, let's just go for it. I'm going to try and assemble this trampoline by myself and see how it goes. And I go in there and I'm put it, putting together all these parts and these different pieces of this trampoline. And by the end it looks great. It looks wonderful. But then I've got this extra piece in my hand. And I wonder, oh no, what, what happened? Where did I go wrong? Somehow I have this extra piece left. And then I go back to the manual and I consult the manual again. It's, Where did I go wrong? Where did I miss the missing piece? And I can't seem to find the problem. And I honestly think that some people then think, ah, oh, these guys made a mistake. Surely the, the instruction manual must be faulty because I have this extra piece. Now I think that's a lot of times how people think about the law. It's this extra piece in the Bible, but we don't know what to do with it. Somehow, God gave this law to Moses, and we know it's important, but they don't know what to do with it. It's in the box. It's in the Bible. But where does it fit in? We have seen through our study of Galatians that Paul is facing a very similar situation. Because the Galatians, these born-again Gentile Christians, are being told they need to keep the law to be like Jews and to be accepted into God's family. And he has gone to this great length and effort to explain to them how salvation is only by faith. That the gospel and a relationship with God does not come based on the law. And so he wants to show them where the law fits in. So, Because the natural question then is, if you're not justified through what you do and your obedience, why then the law? Why then the law? Have you ever thought, why then the law? Where does it fit in and what do we do with it if it doesn't give you salvation? Galatians chapter 3 has been forcing us to think about the big picture of the Bible. Paul has been helping us see where the law fits in by contrasting it with the promise that God made with Abraham. And more specifically, the promise he made to Jesus. We saw that last week. We saw that God is always going to keep His promise because the promise He made to Abraham was a promise that is bigger than the law. Because it's a promise that shows us how God in fact is this gracious missionary God who has a plan to reach the nations through His promised seed, Jesus. You see, with the Abrahamic covenant, we have a clearer understanding of God's strategy for saving people and restoring all things. God told Abraham his plan is to involve him having children. We know that. 
And those children are going to become a nation. They're going to be given land. And from the offspring of Abraham, God said, will be this one descendant who will accomplish his purpose of bringing blessing to the entire world. In Genesis 12, verse 3, God said, All the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that's so important because almost everything we see in the rest of the Old Testament is going to be about these children, the nation of Israel. And for many people, when we talk about the nation of Israel, I mean, it seems so distant, so confusing. When we read books like Leviticus and Numbers, it, it might even seem boring to you. Because what do we do with it? Yet, the reason for the nation of Israel is very important to every single one of you. And so what God does is that He rescues this nation out of slavery. And He takes them into the wilderness and to meet with them at Mount Sinai. Where He wants to make another covenant with them. So let us just look at Exodus 19 verses 4 to 6 to get a bit of the context of all of this again. Because even as we look at these passages, what does God say that He has done for the Israelites? And what does He say He wants to do with the Israelites in this text? Let's read this together. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you out myself to myself. Now, therefore, if you will keep, indeed, obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. God has brought this nation to himself for a purpose. You see, the covenant God is talking about here is different than the one He made earlier with Abraham. It's connected, yes, but it's different. Because what He tells them is that if they do something, He will do something. And what will He do? He will make them into a kingdom of priests. And basically, what God is telling Israel again here is that their purpose was bigger than just Israel. Because what do priests do? The whole nation of Israel was going to be like a priest to represent God to whom? To the rest of the world around them. Israel would image God in the same way that Adam and Eve were to image God. To the rest of the world. The same way if you're a a follower of Jesus should image God to the world around you. But part of the question then is, how would Israel do that? How is Israel going to do that? Because God said to them, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. In other words, they would experience a unique relationship with God and be this holy nation. A nation that shows the world how holy God is, and as a result, they're going to draw people to God. In Israel, they were on their way to the promised land, to Canaan. And this Canaanite culture was this wicked pagan culture. And so, to help Israel accomplish their priestly role as being God's representative to the world, what did He do? He gave them laws. 
He gave them laws to help guide them on this new path so they will be focused on being all about God in every aspect of their lives. Their worship, everything had to be different. To be clearly distinctive from the surrounding nations, to serve as this this channel, this channel through which God is going to bless the rest of the world. And so what all of this shows us is that God gave the law, the Mosaic Covenant specifically, to this nation, Israel, in a very specific context. And the law was binding on them until it was fulfilled in Jesus. And so you can imagine, for centuries, this nation is growing and it's growing, and, and they've been living under the law of God and all these obligations, all these rules. And as we read Old Testament, we see there's no way that Israel could keep the laws. They couldn't do it. Because we all know that God is not just interested in our behavior. He is interested in what goes on in our hearts. And Israel was never going to keep the law on their own without new hearts. And as a result, what happened? They ended up in exile, scattered. But Paul has shown us again from Galatians that when Jesus came, there was this radical shift, this fundamental change in how people should understand the law. Paul has been saying, when it comes to salvation specifically, it's never been about the law. It's always been and will always be about faith in Jesus. And now the thing is that the New Testament clearly teaches us is that Christians today, Christians today, they are no longer under the Mosaic law. Look how Paul says it later in Galatians. Galatians 5 verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit... You are not under the law. Romans 6.14 For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. Paul goes on to write in Romans 10, verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone who believes. And so even as we have said before, we know the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all of Scripture, all of Scripture, Old and New Testament, is breathed out by God and is profitable. The Old Testament is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And that includes the law of God that was given to Israel. Therefore, to understand the relationship between law and gospel, we must recognize that the way you view the law has a direct influence on the way you view the gospel. It impacts not only how you become a Christian, but how do you think you live as a Christian. Because Paul has made it very clear, the law has zero saving value. Zero saving value. It cannot save you. But then where does it leave us? If the law was given to Israel for a purpose, then what exactly is that purpose? And how do we understand the law now that Jesus has come? This is essentially what Paul is going to help us see from Galatians 3 verses 19 to 25, our text today. 
We are going to look at five aspects of the law. Five aspects of the law that help us understand its purpose. Five aspects that help us understand why the law was given. And the first one is found in verse 19, which is number one. The law shows you your sin. Number one, the law shows you your sin. Verse 19a. Why then the law? Paul writes, because he's anticipating that question. It was added because of transgressions. And the key word here is added. Paul's not saying that the law of God was added to the promise, so it becomes faith plus works. That's not what he's saying. He's giving this chronological statement. Because as we have said last week, the law was added 430 years after God made the promise to Abraham. But what then does it mean that it was added in this timeline of salvation history because of transgression? Now you might read that and perhaps think the law was added to simply stop people from sinning. Because that is what the law does, right? In a civil law sense, the speed limit of 120 warns me not to go faster. Or when I see the sign that says, warning, do not enter, I do not enter because there will be consequences if I do. I mean, the word transgress means to overstep or exceed a boundary. And so the fear of punishment usually stops people from doing what they're not supposed to do. But in fact, if you look closer, it seems Paul is actually saying the very opposite. God didn't give the law to decrease transgressions. He gave it to increase transgression. In other words, the law of God was added to show us sin for what it really is. Because it shows us how we have violated God's holy standard. Because the reality is people are oblivious to sin. So the law comes in and shows them what sin really is. And here's the thing, the law wasn't meant to show people how holy we are. By looking at how well we, we think we can keep the Ten Commandments. The very thing that the Pharisees, Pharisees thought they were doing. The law was given to show people the extent of their sin. Look at how Paul says in Romans 7.7. 7. Here he explains how the law made him aware of his own sin. He says, Yet if I had not been for the law, if it hadn't been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But the thing is, think about this. The law doesn't only show us what sin is. The law has this way of making people want to break it. Just think about that. When you read the sign, do not enter, what does your heart want to do? It wants to enter. Romans 5, verse 20, Paul says the same thing. Now the law came to increase the trespass. In other words, now that he knew what sin is, he wanted to do it even more. When the law said do not covet, Paul wanted to covet even more. Has that ever been a reality for you? When the law says, do not look at someone else with the wrong desire, then for some of you it feels like that is all you want to do. The more you try and stop, the more you want to do it. And so it might be this overwhelming reality in your life where you just want to stop doing this very thing you know you shouldn't do. But the law of God provokes us 
too soon. Which doesn't make things better, it makes them worse. You see, God didn't give the law so that people would know how to be justified. He gave the law so that people will know the evil power of sin. Any parent will know what I'm talking about. You can try and control your kids through the fear of punishment. You can tell them, you better do this or we'll get the spanking of your life. And that typically has two kinds of responses, right? The child, the the externally compliant child, might look at you and even give you a nod, you know, a smile and like, okay, that makes sense. I'm not going to do that. But on the inside, this kid is thinking, I just want to do what I want to do, right? The other response might be, as you're laying down the law, the child sees this clear boundary. You've told them, don't touch the TV. But the thing is, they don't like that authority. So what do they do? They challenge that authority, and they want to go and touch the TV. Don't do it, they hear. And all they want to do is do it. They want to touch it even more. You see, in both cases, the instruction, the law, is just causing this child to want to disobey even more. The only difference is the polite child is hiding it better. And so we must ask ourselves, why would God want to increase sin? It's because the law is like this on-ramp to the highway of the gospel. It's the only way to really understand Jesus and what He did on the cross. The law isn't just to show us our sin and how bad we really are, but to increase your understanding of that sin, to expose your heart completely, to help you see how messed up you truly are. And then bring you to that place where you're just not focusing on your external behavior anymore. But you come to that place where you realize there's no way I can live this life without Jesus. One man says, until we feel the full power of sin, we won't see the need for the Savior. And we won't see the power of sin until we see the law. That's why Paul could say, In the rest of Romans 5 verse 20. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That's an amen kind of statement, right? Thank you. Because the law is the law, so that Jesus can be Jesus, the Savior for those who have broken the law. So even as you read your Bible today, the law and all these commandments and the warnings and and the do this and the don't do that, it's to wake you up. It's to help you see your sin. That God wants you to really understand how depraved you are. So that we can have a better view of our need for Jesus. Think about it in terms of a relationship. No relationship is going to go well if the one person is always oblivious to what they're doing. It's the same with God. He wakes us up through the law so that we can see how holy He is and how we can live with Him in this relationship because of Jesus. But next Paul wants us to see that the law, even though it helps us to see our sin, 
and the extent of that sin, piling on this weightiness, it, ha- it has limitations as well. Which is point number two. The law is limited. The law is limited. Verses 19, second half and verse 20. Because it says, Until the offspring should come, to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now the intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. You see, the key word here is until. Paul is wanting us to see that the law is limited because it was only given for a limited time. It was given for a purpose in the context of salvation history. And so let me just clarify this again. God's word and His law is eternal. It's eternal in the sense that God has this perfect, permanent, moral standard for all of His people. The Ten Commandments, for example, which is the summary of the Mosaic Law, is still God's moral standard found all over the Bible. Because this standard is based on the very character of God. And we know God doesn't ever change. God still expects believers in Jesus to not have idols, to not take His name in vain, to not murder and steal and covet. But what Paul is making clear to the Galatians is that the purpose of the law was to reveal sin and to increase sin, but the Mosaic law was always only going to be temporary. All the ceremonies and curses and sacrifices, it all had its limits. Because Paul says, it was only in play until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. In other words, when Jesus came, the work of the law was finished. And the fulfillment of the promise had been secure. Jesus was the final perfect sacrifice that fulfilled all the requirements of the law. And so Jesus changes everything. It means no more circumcision required. It means no more calendar issues about the Sabbath. It means no more food issues and what, what you can and cannot eat. All these were a shadow, the Bible says, of the real thing to come. Colossians 2.16 puts it like this. Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, the calendar stuff. These are all a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And Paul really wants the Galatians to understand that you can't go back to the law when you're under grace and not under the law. And so what Paul is saying is that if we look back in history, the law's usefulness was to get people ready for Jesus. And when Jesus arrived, He fulfilled the entire law. All of it. I mean, Jesus said it Himself like this. He says in Matthew 5.17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Which means for people like you and me, we might not be under the law like Israel was under the law, but we still learn from the law, don't we? It's still this mirror that reveals to us our sin. But Paul indicates that the law had another limitation as well. We've got to do some work here with this next section. Because Paul says, And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. 
I mean, this is a bit of a challenging concept that Paul brings into his argument. Because now he's talking about angels and intermediaries. He's like, where does that all come from? What is that all about? Now, to try and understand what he's saying, we must look at the, the way God gave the law of Moses to him at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19. There we see this, this great thick cloud and, and thunder and lightning. I mean, there was fire and smoke. It was quite this cosmic experience. And much later, when Moses was about to die, he actually reflects on that event. And now God gave him the law. Deuteronomy 33, verse 2, it says it like this. The Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us and shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the ten, he came from the ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. And so what we see from this is that when God gave Moses the law, Moses was not alone. He was there with thousands of holy ones. Which sounds a lot like he's talking about angels, right? And the thing is, not only were the angels there, when God gave the law to Moses, He gave it through the angels to Moses to Israel. So you have all these multiple intermediaries involved. I mean, we see Stephen talking about the same thing in Acts seven fifty three when he was preaching to the gospel, uh, preaching the gospel to the Jewish leaders there. He was referring to the law as well, and he said, "You who received the law as delivered by angels, and did not keep it." And so what's the point? Well, the Judaizers could have been making this big deal about the fact that they got the law through angels. That somehow it gave it more authority. But Paul is saying it does exactly the opposite. It doesn't give it more authority. Because if you compare that to how God gave the promise to Abraham, you see God was talking directly to Abraham. No middleman involved. He didn't... Give the promise through a mediator. But he gave the law through Moses and the angels. And so this tells us something. It shows us the law is inferior to the promise. And then Paul makes his point in verse 20. He says, Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. When God came to Abraham, there was this direct line. When he came to Israel, they needed Moses and the angels. And the fact that God is one can refer to the reality that there's only one way of salvation. This promise is the one way. But the fact that there's a mediator with the law, it shows there's this distance between us and God. When it comes to the law, there's this distance between man and God because of sin. But when it comes to the gospel, God wanted to talk to us directly. When it comes to the gospel, God's presence is experienced in a unique way. It didn't need a mediator. But God is the one who is going to bring this promise to completion. We've talked about this. Which brings up another question about the law then. Which is point number three. Verse 21. The law cannot give you life. The law cannot... Give life. Because the question is, is the law then contrary to the promise of God? Paul says, certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. You see, the more Paul is talking about the purpose of the law and, and now its limits, 
all these limitations of it. He anticipates another question here in verse 21. And the question basically says, if the Lord does have a purpose, isn't that purpose somehow going against the promise of God? And Paul says, certainly not. The purpose of the law is not going against the purpose of the promise because the promise gave you life. The law cannot give you life. That's why he says, for if the law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would have been indeed by the law. In other words, if the law could give someone life, there's just no need for the promise. But that's just the thing the Jews could not get right. The law cannot give you the righteousness, the righteous life you need. Because that's not its purpose. That's not its purpose. That's how the legalist and the, the recovering Pharisee looks at the law of God. Because to them, it's all about performance and the externals. And because the law, as we have seen, it increases our transgressions. It cannot give you life. Because you know what? It does the opposite. It brings death. The law brings death. It brings guilt and condemnation. Paul said it like this in Romans 7 verse 9. I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive. Look what became alive. Sin became alive and who died? And I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. So think about the law in this way. I mean, remember when Marta had her uh, chemotherapy, right? I think we all remember when Marta had her chemotherapy. This treatment was trying to kill all the cancer that was inside of her. And if you looked at her, it really looked as if she was dying. This poison they put in you to kill all that bad stuff. It's like this instrument of death. And the law is like this chemotherapy. It makes us worse as if we're dying. Why? So that Christ can make us better. So that Christ can give us new life in Him. It feels as if it's not good for us. It feels as if we're dying because sin is so heavy. We can't carry it anymore. That's exactly what we need. In Judaism, the law was seen as this pathway to life. Tom Schreiner says, The mindset was, the more study of the law, the more life. But the problem is, the law does not provide the power to enable Israel to live in a way that pleases God. No matter how much Torah observance they had. The only power to obey God and do what is right is through faith in Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it's easy for those under the law to feel as if they can do nothing. They're stuck. And that brings us to number four. The law put, puts you in prison. The law puts you in prison. Verse 22. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So far we've seen that the law reveals sin. It increases sin by making people aware of how sinful they really are. We've seen its limitations because people were under the law only until Jesus came. 
And because the law required a mediator. We also saw that it cannot give life. It only brings death. But now Paul says, one of the purposes of the law is to lock you up. To put us all behind bars. And Paul here says, he's talking about the scripture. I mean, he might be referring to the law specifically. But it could be that he has the whole scripture in mind as well. And the point is, look at the extent and the scope of all of this. Because he says everything. The Jews who have the law, the Gentiles who have the law written on their hearts. Everyone, the whole world is under the condemnation of the law. Because we're all born in sin. We all break God's law. And so the law puts us behind bars. It locks us up. As we have said, the, the law was never meant to give people freedom. Because it does the opposite. It locks you up under sin and puts you in prison because we've all broken God's law. It's supposed to lead you to a place where, like Paul, you will shout out, Wretched man that I am! Who will deliver me from this body of death? And if you're stuck in the prison of sin, what do you want? What are you looking for? Some kind of prison break. You're looking for that freedom. And so Paul is saying, that brings to the so what there, the so that. Here's the so that, this massive so that. The purpose of the law, he says, is not to give you life, not to give you freedom, but to lock you up so that. So that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So that you will stop looking at your own efforts. Your own obedience. How much you failed and what you have done and go to Jesus. Believe Him for true freedom. Because the only way of escape to not keep on doing that very thing you know you don't want to do, to find freedom from this imprisoned life of sin is to receive God's mercy through Jesus. Again, we've been talking a lot about Martin Luther. He said it this way, The law, with its function, does not contribute to justification. Not because it justifies, but because... Because the law does contribute to justification. Not because it justifies, but because it impels one to the promise of grace and makes it sweet and desirable. Therefore, we do not abolish the law, but we show its true function and use, namely, that it is a most useful servant impelling us to Christ. Maybe many of you are still having these thoughts. Why am I still like this? What's wrong with me? Why do I keep on sinning like this? It's exactly in that moment of despair that Jesus reaches out and says, I'm here. I'm the one who fulfilled the law for you. I'm here to pick up those who have fallen. It's in that moment that we see Him come to take our place in the very prison that we are in so that we can go free. The law's not finished. The law's not finished. It not only locks you up. Once you're locked up, it acts like a guardian as well. Which is our final point. 
The law is like a guardian that protects you. Verses 23 to 25. In verse 23, Paul says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Paul really wants us to see how the law leads people to Jesus. And he's still talking about prison here. And he's expanding on this analogy because not only does the law put everyone in prison, but now he says Israel was held captive under the law before Jesus would arrive. And the law is now like a prison warden. Think of it as a prison warden. People are the inmates. The prisoners who wear those ugly orange jumpsuits. And the law is like the jail keeper. But as you hear this picture, you might think, no one wants to be captive in prison, right? Surely being in prison is not a good thing. But what Paul's saying is that the law, if you understand it right, kept the Jews under its protection. It was protecting them and keeping them safe in prison until it could lead them to Jesus. Now one example of how prison can actually be a good thing is from Paul's own life, right? Paul was put in prison. And in Acts 23.12 we read of this, this group of people who really had it in for Paul. So they wanted to take him out. But then the authorities found out that there's this plot to kill Paul. So they gave all these extra soldiers to guard Paul. He was, as he was escorted to Caesarea. And so Paul, yes, he's still in prison. But these guards, they, they actually saved his life by protecting him. And so this is what the Lord does. It puts people in prison, but it also keeps them safe while they're in prison. Watching over them. And even as people wanted to try and break free, so they can live this reckless, sinful lives, the law stands as guard and prevents people from doing what they should not do. So this strict jail keeper, this prison warden, was protecting Israel and keeping them safe until the time would come where they could be released to have the right kind of freedom in Jesus. The freedom to obey God with a new heart. Paul actually builds on this because he gives another picture of this in verses 24 and 25. He says, so the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. He says the purpose of the law was to be our guardian until a certain time. And the word guardian here actually refers to a slave that was appointed to serve as a child protector. Which seems strange, but the rich families in the Greek culture, they would have these full-time workers in their homes that was responsible for providing supervision, this constant care for the children. I mean, think about it. It's like a nanny on steroids. This person would oversee discipline in the home. They would be shaping the child and its understanding of, of ethics and obedience. It would guide the child and what to do and would punish them if they failed to do it. But then this worker, this nanny, would eventually work itself out of a job. Why? Because when the child has grown up and was old enough, it no longer needed the supervision from the nanny. And so in the same way, the law was like this disciplinarian. 
shaping the child, maturing Israel until it was ready for their need for Jesus. To see their need for Jesus. And so think about it. We do the same. We teach our kids, don't put your finger in the electric plug long before we teach them about how electricity works. And why is that? It's the easiest way to protect them. And that's why we keep using God's law to train up a child in the way he should go. Because the law is like this nanny that guards them, disciplines them, and protects them until they see their sin for what it really is. And look to Jesus for the Savior for that sin. And so Paul's helping us understand why God gave the law. And we've talked about five aspects of the law here quickly to help us understand its purpose. We have seen that the law helps to reveal sin, to increase transgression so that people can really see themselves accurately and see their need for Jesus. Do you have an accurate picture of what's really going on in their hearts? But the law is limited. It was only given for a specific time to the nation of Israel for a period in salvation history until Jesus would come to fulfill the requirements of the law. It was also limited because it needed an intermediary, this middleman, where the gospel promise had no middleman, making it superior to the law. We see the law cannot give anyone life because it does exactly the opposite. It brings death. Because even as people try to keep the law on their own, they will fail and fail and fail and bring God's judgment on themselves. And the law puts us in prison, causing people to want true freedom, freedom that can only be found in Jesus. And it acts like this guardian, keeping people safe and guiding them, disciplining them until they were ready for Jesus. And so the better we understand the purpose of the law, the better we will understand how we should think about the law today. It's important because it impacts what we understand about salvation. And it impacts the way we understand our sanctification, growing more to be like Jesus. And so what does this mean for me and you? How can the law given to Israel help us today? Well, one thing we must remember is that the law has an important but limited role in our lives. The law's purpose is not to give us life. I mean, Paul has been making that very clear. The law's purpose is not to give anyone life, but to help guide us, those who have life, and living out the life we already have. But it helps those who do not have life to see that they need life. Think about it in terms of bowling. When we go bowling, we put up those guardrails, right? Jesus is the lane. We go down, but the guardrails is like the law that helps guides us on this road to heaven as you walk by the Spirit. And so that means as New Testament believers in Jesus, we look to the law from that perspective. Because Paul puts it this way in Romans 8, verses 1 and 4. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh. 
in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So we don't walk according to the law, we walk according to the Spirit. True believers in Jesus look at the law of God today to know how we can honor God with our lives. To live our lives as a faithful representative of who He is. And so the law helps us know God better. The Westminster Confession says it like this, The law is a rule of life informing believers of the will of God and of their duty and it directs and binds them to walk accordingly. So over the next couple of weeks, starting next Sunday, we are going to look at the Ten Commandments. We're going to do a short series through the Ten Commandments, God's moral law to get to know God better. To know how we can live for His glory. And to do that, you need an accurate view of yourself so that you can have a more accurate view of God. So I want to give you one example of what this is going to look like. How do Christians look at God's moral law through Christian eyes? So let's take one example. Exodus 20 verse 15 says, You shall not steal. You shall not steal. And you read that and you must ask yourself four questions. Number one, think revelation. What does this tell me about God? Why does God care about whether someone steals or not? It tells me God is a just and generous God who will never lie and cheat and steal from us. Who feels no need and has no no greed. But He overflows with love and abundance. Second thing, confrontation. What does this tell me about me? Am I someone who is greedy? Am I someone who is unfair towards others? Do I steal with my time? Do I come to work late and leave early? Do I spend all my time on social media? Do I copy other people's homework? Thirdly, think instruction. How can I live differently? How can I be more generous? How can I be more fair? How can I be more honest? Not to earn God's heart, but knowing we're in His heart already. And finally, think promise. What do I know about Jesus? Jesus came to fulfill where I have failed. His word promises that I'm totally forgiven. And this truth leads me to be want to be a more generous person. This leads me to be the kind of person that doesn't want to steal with my time. That doesn't want to copy my friend's homework. Because apart from God's grace, I will be stealing all the time. He has promised to give me the Holy Spirit as a helper. He promises that He is coming again and He's going to bring justice on those who are thieves. And so think revelation, confrontation, instruction, and promise. And we know that God the Father, He sees our transgressions, right? He sees all of it. If you don't have Jesus, He sees all of it. And no, we don't always see it, so we need help. And think about it. If God sees our sin and He knows how blind we are because of sin, He's going to help us see His sin through His Word. That is love. His commandments are all about love. 
And so maybe if you've never seen the depths of your sin, is it perhaps, even as you look at God's Word, that you're not really a Christian? Look at God's law and see your sin for what it really is. And then look to Jesus as the Savior for that sin. Believe Him. Believe Him that He will take your sin away forever. We use the law today to teach our children who God is by giving them consequences for disobedience because there's no way they will understand the grace of God until they understand the law of God. We give our kids commands to guide their behavior, not to create it. In other words, the law calls for righteousness, but it cannot create that righteousness. That's why we need to be consistent to lead them to grace. You can't just give them the law. You've got to show them Jesus too. I mean, we do the same in evangelism, right? The same in evangelism. Parenting is like evangelism. No one can understand the grace of God until they understand how sinful they are and how much they need grace. And once people understand the purpose of the law, Once you really understand the purpose of the law, like Paul unpacked it for us today, we will be like Paul and we will say, the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Is that how you see the law? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that you allow us to look into your word, your perfect law. And it reveals to us how sinful we are. It shows us how we cannot find this life we're looking for. It cannot find, we cannot find this life because we're locked up in the prison of sin. But it also shows us that you are the Savior for people like that. You came for the prisoner. You came for the guilty. And so, Father, help us to understand the law in the right way. That even though you gave it to Israel so many years ago, to help them be different... To help them be a light to the nations. Help us to learn from that. So that we can be a light as well. That we can see the seriousness of sin. And we see the amazing grace in the gospel. Father, thank you for sending your son. To fulfill all of the law. All of it. So that we can believe. And be set free. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.